Let's pray. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We fix our eyes on you. We turn our hearts towards you. We look to you in this moment. People that are gathered in different places, even at different times, connected because of you. We look to you, Jesus, because you are beautiful and wonderful. You've captivated our lives and captivated our hearts. Some of us still seeking, still wondering about you, and yet uh, we're drawn to you. And so teach us today, God, we pray as we hear from your scriptures that uh, you would draw us to Jesus, that we would marvel at Jesus, that we'd be surprised at some of the things he says and some of the things he does, some of the ways that he reacts, and, and that through uh, coming and meeting you in this time, God, that you would make us more like him, that you would make our words more like his words and our actions more like his actions, and our reactions more <laughs> like his reactions, because Outside of him, outside of you, oh God, uh, we have no hope. But with you, we are claiming this great hope that you can actually do a work in us, a change in us, to, to forgive us and renew us and to give us new and good life. So, oh God, know that your people who are joining in this worship service, we're here today saying we need you. We need all of you. And we know that that's gonna mean some change in our, our lives and, and we are willing. We're willing to go your way. So come God in these moments and, and heal our hearts, bind up our wounds, shine light into our darkness, all through the power of Jesus and all we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. It's great to worship with you. My name is Jacob Armstrong. I'm one of the pastors here at Providence Church. And each week, it's our privilege to join with you. We know that many of you uh, have come to church here at some point, and so many of you have never been in this room. And it is a great connection that we've built over the last year to be online worshipers together. And I just want to personally welcome you and thank you for being with us. If you are someone in the uh, Mount Juliet or Nashville area, I want to invite you to join us on Easter for our Easter services. We will be having uh, drive-in services right here at our campus, uh, 2293 South Rutland Road, and we'll have two services on Saturday and then two services on Sunday. And the way that you can reserve a spot is by going to prov.church slash Easter. <laughs> and there you'll find a way to reserve your spot and join us for worship. We would love to have you come and join us. If you're wondering which service might be a good one to come to, uh, I want to give a special invitation to that six o'clock service on Saturday evening. We've got a bunch of room left at that one, but all of them have room right now. I just wanted you to know that would be a great one to sign up for. Online worshipers all over the place. Easter, we'll be having worship nine and 11 uh, live on prov.church. We'd love for you to join us. Today, I want to tell you how haughtiness will condemn you and holiness will set you free. That haughtiness will drive you down, it'll push you down, it will condemn you, and holiness 
will set you free. Now, haughtiness is not a word that we use all that much. Haughtiness, it, almost, it comes out almost like an English accent for me. Maybe Australian. Some people say I have a good Australian accent, but that, that's for you to, to find out. Haughtiness, haughtiness is a, a word we don't use much, but I want to use it today, and here's why. This is what it means. It means you think you're superior and you act like it. That's what haught, being haughty means. It's like you've got an idea that you are kind of above everybody else, or I'm above everybody else, and I act like it. Holiness, that's a church word for sure, probably one we don't use all that much either. And holiness means that you're set apart by God, that God has set you aside for his purposes, and you act like that. Haughtiness and holiness. So haughtiness will condemn you. Holiness set you free. We're going to be looking uh, in these moments at John chapter 8. A lot of verses, actually. I'm going to walk you through it. John chapter 8, if you have your Bible, you can look it up, or all those verses will be right here on your screen. Starting in verse 2, it says this, at dawn, he, that's Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. This is verse 2, and verse 2 has some clues that the day before is important for us to understand this day. So you see there uh, in the scripture, at dawn. At dawn makes you wonder, well, what happened the day before? The other word you see there is again, that he's teaching in the temple courts again. So you might wonder, well, when was the last time he taught in the temple courts? Well, I'll tell you, the last time he was there was just the day before. So at dawn, we see that Jesus has come right back to the temple courts and he is teaching there again. Here's what happens in John chapter seven, the first time that Jesus is teaching in the temple courts. He's ridiculed, he's called demon-possessed, he is, uh, they try to seize him, a warrant is put out for his arrest, and basically he is being condemned. So our verse, at dawn, he appears again in the temple courts. You're like, oh my goodness, he came back as soon as he could right to where he was before, and he teaches them again. It's here that the story takes a surprising turn. There's a twist, something that we don't expect. And if you've never heard it, hang on. The next verse says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Caught in adultery. Adultery is when someone who is married has sex with someone who they are not married to. It's one of the Ten Commandments, to not do it. <laughs> it's, to not do it is one of the Ten Commandments. And the teachers of the law have caught this woman in adultery. Last I check, it, it takes two people, but they just bring her alone, and it says they made her stand before the group. Hmm. They made her stand before the group. We're told that she was caught in the act of adultery, not that she'd committed adultery or that she was involved in adultery, that they caught her in the act of adultery. So they bring her in whatever you are wearing when you're caught in the act of adultery, and they made her stand before the group. And they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? And the scripture says that they were using this question. Now, what do you say, Jesus? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. They were using the question 
as a trap. Another way of saying that is they were using the woman as a prop. Of course, this story, we usually think about the woman who's being condemned, but you see what they're really trying to do is condemn Jesus. They don't give a flip about this woman. And I'm going to pause there for a moment because what Jesus does next, it, it kind of goes down in history. And so for us to hear it, I want us to really first understand the moment. Jesus is teaching when this happens, when they bring the woman in. He's in the middle of teaching. So his response, which is amazing, is even more amazing to think that he has been interrupted with no preparation on how to handle this accusation and this question to him where they're asking him, are you going to do what our law says that we should do to this woman? He's interrupted, and it's not uncommon to be interrupted when you're teaching. Um, as a person who teaches a bunch, uh, I can handle an interruption or two. Most uh, Sundays when I'm teaching, there's a baby crying or a phone rings pretty much every Sunday, and I can, I can handle it pretty good unless it's like your ringtone's Rocky Top or something like that. I was doing a funeral recently, and the, a phone rang, and it was Devil Went Down to Georgia, so it was, a, it was a great moment. But it's Mount Juliet. Anyways, so all the time we're getting uh, interruptions when we're teaching. In December, I was preaching in this room, and this wreath we had up for Christmas fell right as I started my sermon. I've had people pass out. I've had people have heart attacks. I've had paramedics come in. One Christmas Eve, I was right at the point where I just knew my sermon was going to you know, capture everybody's heart. And this one guy was sitting in a chair holding his baby, and the chair just flattened. We'd rented these chairs in the old middle school that we met in, and the sermon was over. And so a teacher has to know when the moment of interruption says, press on, that's like when the phone rings, or when you have to change your course, bring the paramedics in. Jesus is teaching in the temple courts. He's on point number two or whatever. And then the actual teachers of the church come in, bringing a woman caught in adultery, referring to their law and saying she should be killed and asking Jesus, what do you say? Ready for this? Jesus bends down and starts to write on the ground with his finger. He stops his teaching. He bends down, he doodles on the ground in the dirt. He doesn't react and he doesn't answer them. But they keep on. It says they kept on questioning him. The next verse is when they kept on questioning him, he was who was down on the ground, straightens up and says to them, let any one of you who's without sin be the first to throw a stone at her this famous moment. Jesus says to the teachers of the law, you go first. And you go first if you shouldn't have a stone thrown at you right now because of your sin. You see, yesterday, Jesus was in the place of the woman. Yesterday, they were trying to grab him. Yesterday, they were trying to get him to the firing line, to him to the stoning pit. So when he saw the woman, he did not have the haughtiness of the teachers, a superior feeling and acting on it. Instead, Jesus identifies with the one being condemned, knowing, of course, in that moment, he's the real one they're trying to condemn. At this, those who had heard Jesus say that began to go away one at a time the older ones first. 
until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. So a scene that starts with Jesus teaching a crowd of people and then is interrupted with this shameful scene, shame of the woman, the shame of the men condemning her. Well, now it's just two people, Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. And guess where Jesus is? He's back on his knees with his finger in the dust. And then he straightens up again. He says, Jesus straightened up. And he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she looks around and says, no one, sir. And then Jesus says, and neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. No one, she says. And Jesus, with no rocks in his hands, says, I don't condemn you either. Go now and leave your life of sin. I want to remind us of some words from the book of John. We studied them three weeks ago. I don't expect you to remember, <laughs> but they're found in John chapter 3, and some of them are really famous. One of those teachers of the law, like literally one of those teachers of the law, we know that Nicodemus was there. One of those teachers, Nicodemus, comes to Jesus at night, and Jesus tells him, Nicodemus, you're going to have to be born again. Something's going to have to happen inside of you, man. You, you need to change. Something's going to have to work in, in, your, in your spirit. And then this is what John writes about the encounter, the first encounter Jesus has with one of these teachers of the law. It says this, God loves the world so much that he gave his one and only son and that whoever believes in him will not die, but have eternal life. That's John 3.16, most famous scripture in the Bible. John 3.17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So who is condemned? Not the adulterous woman, if not these haughty teachers. Well, John 3.18 says this, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Here's what I want you to hear. Condemnation is not found in Jesus. It's found when we won't let Jesus in. It's found when we keep Jesus away. Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, uh, talked about this, and he said this, there's actually no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death and stones. He goes on to say that what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. So God gave this good law, but our flesh, our bodies, we couldn't handle it. It was weakened. God, what the law was powerless to do, God was able to do by sending his own son in the likeness of our sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so Jesus condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of these laws might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Jesus came to condemn sin, not us. He came to conquer sin, not us. He didn't come to crush us with stones. He crushed the head of the serpent. You hear what he tells the woman. I 
won't condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. If Jesus has not come to condemn you, but to save you, meaning Jesus has the power to keep you from the stones, to keep you from dying. If Jesus can do that, he also has the power to change you, to turn you from your sin and to make you holy. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus' words. is not a free pass to sin. It's a free pass from sin. You see what I'm saying? Uh, some take uh, this line, neither do I condemn you, to mean, whoo, thanks for the free pass, Jesus. I'll just keep on doing what I've been doing. No, Jesus gives a free pass from sin. You don't have to live in it anymore. When Rachel, my wife, and I were married in our wedding, she promised me, well, do you know what she promised to me? I can tell you what Rachel promised to me in our wedding. The reason I can, some of you have forgotten what you promised in your wedding ceremonies, but I do wedding ceremonies all the time. So I hear it over and over and over. So I know exactly what Rachel promised to me. She was asked the question, will you take Jacob to be your husband? Will you love him? Will you comfort him? Will you honor him? Will you keep him? <laughs> when? In sickness and in health? Um, for richer or for poor? For better? For worse? She said, I will. <laughs> she promised to be faithful till one of us dies. You know? When she made that promise to me, when she gave herself to me in that way, I didn't take that as a free pass to do whatever I wanted. That would be called um, unhealthy, dysfunctional, even abuse. No, Rachel said to me, we are together no matter what, and I had to up my game. <laughs> Breaking open. Is when you come to this point, where you feel like you're on the ground with a bunch of condemners around you. You may feel that way right now. Stones in hand, they're about to lodge those stones in you. You ever feel that way? Like your depression or your burnout or just that messing up time after time after time just feels like there's a group of people with stones. You know your destiny is all stones hitting your body. And Jesus calls them off. <laughs> Jesus calls them off. Uh, Jesus calls them out. And he doesn't condemn Jesus told us that he's not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And in the breaking open, what you do is you stand up. While Jesus gets up out of the dirt, because we're in the dirt, as Jesus stands up out of the dirt, we stand up. While Jesus says, neither do I condemn you, we don't stay down. We try to leave our life of sin because Jesus has given us the power, not just for salvation, but for sanctification to make us holy. Haughtiness will condemn you. Holiness will set you free. You really want to be free? Then you don't just want to be saved. You want to be sanctified. That's what Jesus was telling her. Yeah, I can keep these rocks from pounding you. You're saved, but there's more. Who wants more? 
I mean, I'm in that place. Jesus didn't come to condemn me. Thank you, Jesus. But there's so much more holiness. He has set you apart for his purposes, and you can't live the way you used to live. So Leviticus chapter 20 is where we find this part of Moses' law. Remember the guy said, hey, Moses said you're supposed to throw stones in there. If you read Leviticus 20, you'll see there's some things that it says don't do, and if not, you'll get stones thrown at you. That's what they were referring to. Leviticus chapter 20 is where it defines and condemns adultery, but somehow we seem to miss what's said right at the end of Leviticus 20. Somehow, I don't know why, it's like we just hone in on the punishment part and miss the promise part. And so I want to tell you what Leviticus chapter 20 says. It says, God says, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I've set you apart from all the nations to be my own. People start parsing out Leviticus 20 to punish people and throw stones when God's purpose is holiness for us so that we can know we are his own. I've said this word sanctification a couple of times as if we would all kind of know what that means. I know that's not a common word. Uh, It's found in the Bible quite a few times to describe what happens in us through the Spirit when God is making us holy, when God is doing a work in us. Like what he said to Nicodemus, you know, you need to be born again. Like when I said I had to up my game with Rachel, that was true, but we actually don't up our game in the Spirit We strive, we yearn, we long for it. But what we're saying is actually, God, you have to do something in me that I can't do on my own. Jesus talks about this, this work that that can happen in us uh, in his last prayer before he goes to the cross. I, I find this so fascinating, so interesting to think, what was Jesus praying to his father about us right before he went to the cross? Well, we actually know. This is what he says. Jesus talking to God. He says, my prayer He's talking to the Father, is not that you take them, that's us, out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. He says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. And here's what he prays for us. He says, God, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. He continues his prayer and he says, for them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. What does it mean to be sanctified? That you would allow God to save you entirely. Not just from the stones. Stones, No stones is great. You got to start there. But we're talking about a full transformation of your life, a breaking open of your heart towards God where you give him everything and God changes everything. John Wesley, who is the founder of the Methodist movement, the the group, the tribe that we are a part about, he said this about sanctification. Four things. He said, number one, God, God has promised it in the scriptures. Number two, what God promises, God is able to do. Number three, God's willing to do it right now. <laughs> and then number four, God actually does this. <laughs> I love that. He's like, God's made a promise. God can do what he promises. God can do it right now. And God actually does this. We marvel at Jesus' words to the woman, right? Because we put ourselves in that place. We all know the stones that could come at us because of our sin. And we marvel at Jesus then telling her, go now and leave your life of sin. If you're like me, you might wonder, 
Who can do that? How? Why would he give her this impossible commission? He's pulled her up out of the dirt. He's kept the stones from hitting her, but now he's saying, go now and leave your life of sin. Well, the only thing I have to say about it today is if Jesus says she can do it, I'm going to believe that she can do it. And if Jesus is saying to me, you can do that, then I have to ask myself, do I believe that God can do what I think is impossible in me? Do I believe it's possible that Jesus could fully save me? Not just keep stones from hitting me, but, but help me stand up and walk into a new life, into a, a new way with all my brokenness and with all my pain that I would not break down onto the ground, but I'd break open before God. That some of us might say, could God really do that in me that I wouldn't reach for the drink again, that I wouldn't text that person who's not my wife to meet up, that I wouldn't follow the pattern, the harmful, abusive patterns of my father? Is Jesus just saving us from stones or is there more? There's more. (laughs) When you break open before God, you get a power that changes everything. Let me read to you just a few more scriptures. This is from Titus speaking to people in the early church. And it says this, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. For God so loved the world, he sent his son, right? It, God's grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to say no to worldly passions, and to live, this this is living differently, right? To live self-controlled, upright, godly lives, listen, in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Do you see what Titus is saying here? The same thing that it says in Leviticus chapter 20. That, that the reason God is doing this is that we could be called his very own people who are eager to do not uh, what our haughty, superior way of thinking lead us to do, eager to do what is good in the eyes of the Lord. That's what it said in Leviticus, right? We get caught up in the stoning part. We live in an age where people are casting stones, but God has called us to be holy as he is holy so that we can know that we are his very own. You know, there's a song we sing. It says, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. (laughs) That's what I feel like in this moment. You can have all that stuff. Give me Jesus. You can have this whole world. I want the one who, when I am down on the ground in front of all the teachers and I feel all the shame of all the stuff I've done wrong, I want the one who's doodling in the dust and who's calling them out and saying, you want to throw a stone, you throw it if you've never done what he's done. And then as all those people walk away and it's just me and Jesus, he says to me, where are they all at? And I'm like, they're all gone. It's just me and you. And he says, well, I don't condemn you either, but go now. I'm giving you the power to live a new way, to live a new life, to be holy, to be sanctified. So for those of you who want today, you can ask for this to happen today in your life, to lay down your haughtiness, your superiority, which feels like stones in our hands. You can choose today holiness, a set-apart life before God, and that's what will set you free. I have a prayer that I'm gonna pray. I'll read it for you first, and then if you wanna pray it, 
Get ready for the Holy Spirit to come and change your life. The prayer says this, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, sanctify me entirely for the sake of your son, Jesus. Amen. I invite you, if you want to pray it with me, you can. Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, sanctify me entirely for the sake of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.